This week on Merchants of Change, we've got Carrie Bosworth. Carrie played volleyball at Jacksonville University. She had successful runs at Quest, Salesforce, and Yext before her current role as SVP of Sales at Checker. Here she is, Carrie Bosworth. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How we doing, Carrie? Hi. Thank you for coming on the show. For sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Today we've got Carrie Bosworth. Um, and for context for new listeners, Merchants of Change is a show for new sellers and, and people considering a career shift into sales. And, and our mission at Shift Group is to help uh, former athletes and, and military veterans become elite sales professionals. All of our podcast guests are, are former athletes or military veterans who found success in the world of sales. So our usual flow, we like to kind of start off with sports, get into the transition to the working world, and then we finish talking about um, some sales nuggets for our audience. So we always like to start at the, the sports career. Um, and this is an intentionally broad question, Carrie, but what are, what are some of your favorite memories of your volleyball playing days? Well, I appreciate you calling me kid. We're really dialing back 20 years to my volleyball playing days. Um, I, I mean, the camaraderie, I think, is my favorite part. I um, was lucky enough throughout my entire career from high school to club to college to have wonderful teammates and coaches. And um, I think that's also what I love about my job now is all the people. So for me, I've always been rooted in relationships and, and surrounded by great people. I also... I mean, I do miss, it sounds crazy, but I miss like double sessions and just working out at that level. Like that was just such an awesome time. And I think like probably took it for granted a little bit, dreading the 6am, you know, wake up. But um, I loved the the hard workouts. Like those were, those were fun. Yeah. That, that culture of discipline is definitely something that I think all elite athletes miss. And you, and you, and you mentioned your teammates. I think, I, I think that's our most common answer when we ask that question. And, and when you look back at like some of your favorite teammates at, at Jacksonville, um, what, what are some of the traits and characteristics that come, come to mind? Yeah, I would say it was both, both, it was actually all three experiences, high school club and, and Jacksonville. Um, the, the competitive nature, like, Every team I was on, people were like crazy competitive and we'd be trying to beat each other in sprints, trying to beat each other in scrimmages. We played scrimmages as if they were the game. Like, I love that all of my teammates showed up to practice 200% the same way we would if we were in a game. And I think it's why the teams I were on were most successful because of the daily habits and practice. Um, so that competitive fire uh, was probably my favorite part. Absolutely. Yeah, that that. You know, people don't realize how much you you really do compete against your teammates. It's 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 right. how you make each other better. I, I I see that in great sales organizations too. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you think your teammates would would describe you from your playing days? Relentless, uh, probably relentless. A little bit crazy, intense. 
um, never give up, like never give up no matter what, even if we were down in a game, like I'm playing till the end and I, I wasn't the best loser when I was an athlete. I've, I've learned to appreciate losses now and learn from them and handle them a little bit better. But when I was an athlete, the losses really took it out of me. So it would take me a bit to come back from that. Um, so people probably remember my reaction in the locker room afterwards, but, uh, I think overall I was really intense, um, as a player and really committed to the sport and to winning, frankly. Yeah. That, that intensity seems to, to be a, a recurring theme with all the past athletes that are now sales leaders. We, we hear that mm-hmm. answer a lot. And, and, and I'd be curious to know, like looking back, you had, you had a, a great career. What, what is an accomplishment that you feel like you're most proud of? from your sports career on the sports side. Um, there's two things. So I thought a lot about this answer. I think my most proud accomplishment as it relates to the actual sport itself was high school. I mean, my high school career was very like well decorated, uh, kudos to having great teammates and a good coach, but we went, uh, 80 and 0 for, uh, my sophomore year through my senior year, which in volleyball at the time, it's like best two out of three. So we never lost an individual game for three years. So, um, you know, that for me is definitely my most, that was the best accomplishment I had from a sports perspective. Um, as it relates to just the other side of that, I think being a captain was probably what brought me the most fulfillment outside of winning. Um, I really love leading people. It's probably why I'm in my career today. Um, and I really, I took that responsibility, um, upon myself and really tried to help everybody kind of navigate through all the ups and downs of sports. So both all the teams I was on, I ended up being a captain at some point. And I think that that was probably like an honor for me um, outside of not losing one game in my high school career. That is incredible. My, so my, um, my father uh, coached high school hockey in Massachusetts for mm-hmm. um, 40 years. He's in the coaches hall of fame. And, and I look back at my sports career, my fondest, some of my fondest memories are the coaches. Do you, do you have like a favorite coach from, from your volleyball career and and any lessons that you find yourself using today? Yeah. I mean, I was, first of all, kudos to all the coaches. It's a hard job and I was lucky to pull things from all of my coaches. Um, My college volleyball coach though is by far the one that had the most impact on my life. We're still very close today. Um, and she was just as crazy and as intense as I was, and we still share stories and she's a big mentor for me now. She's not in tech, she's still in sports, but, um, for me, it's been transferable and I've really appreciated that mentorship. And I think, uh, someone who's there for you through the ups and downs, not only in your sports career, but then throughout life is what I look at for, you know, for mentorship. And I like to give that back to people as well. Um, and I think generally speaking, she really taught me like, well, one, you don't give up till the end, uh, till the game is over. So the intensity and playing through those games and playing in practice at that 200% level was what she drove. And it instilled a lot of perseverance in me um, that I'll always appreciate that I think I've taken through my my life. That's amazing. One, one thing I don't think uh, a lot of people don't appreciate that one thing athletes have unique uniquely is their exposure to great leadership, like your college mm-hmm. coach. Like it, it can make such a difference in the way you view the world. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you're playing for her down in Florida, hanging out with your teammates, and I'm sure you were just <laughs> dreaming about the day that you could get into technology sales, right? <laughs> How did you? Uh, what was your path to sales? How did you end up there? Were there other careers that you explored or considered? Yeah. So to be clear, the date of this was 2001. So I think it's important for people to know that because I think there's a lot more visibility to sports, women's sports, especially now than there was then. 
Um, I was on a sports track. I had, my parents uh, were not part of corporate America. I didn't have any visibility into corporate America at all. My dad was in real estate on the Cape um, and in Massachusetts. And uh, I was, I was recruited to play professional in Europe um, over in Sweden. At the time, my grandmother had been sick and ended up passing away and just wasn't the right time for me um, to do that. Uh, and then was uh, recruited to move up to Ohio, which was not on the beach. So I had a quick stint in Ohio. Um, being born and raised on Cape Cod and then moving to Florida, I was like, I cannot be in the middle of the country. This doesn't work for me. But I was there for two years and I ran an athletic facility there uh, where I was running volleyball, basketball programs. And then I was uh, coaching the Ohio State volleyball team when they couldn't be with their coach because D1 has a lot of rules around that. Um, and that was great. And then I just had a moment. I was 24 years old and I had a moment where I was like, how am I going to have a make money? <laughs> Like, this isn't going to work. And I started to get a little antsy. I also had, you know, moved away from playing, which I like, I love coaching, but I just really miss playing. So that was kind of hard on me. Um, and I wasn't feeling committed to what I was doing towards the end. So I, this is dating me. That's why I had to say the date. So I took a monster.com personality test and back in the day, which I don't think they have that anymore, that website. And I took that test. I was an education major in college, by the way. So I was going to be a teacher. I couldn't do that. I needed adult conversation. And I ended up ever, I took the test five times and I could not get, I couldn't make it so that sales wasn't my answer. Like I tried to cheat on the test. I moved it around. But I'm so competitive that every answer, even when I tried to like fluff some of the answers, it still threw me into sales. And I'm like, I guess I should try this. So I interviewed for an athletic director job in Ohio um, and then also Quest Software, which was my first job that I had. We can talk about that. Um, I didn't get the athletic director job, which is a blessing in disguise because I was probably more comfortable with that. Um, but I didn't really want to be in Ohio. I didn't get it because they thought I was too young. They were all older than me. So they didn't want me to be their boss. Uh, which I think is interesting. And then I got the Quest software job. And the only reason I applied for that is because I went online and they had a they had an office in Ohio, but their headquarters was Laguna Beach in California. And I always wanted to live in California. I'm like, this is perfect. I can go play beach volleyball. I'll learn how to surf, you know, and I'll do the sales thing and see how this goes. So that's how I ended up in Excel. That's amazing. Um, my first job was in reselling and Quest was, was in our portfolio. Oh, so yeah. I remember it. a big wow. reselling network. Yep. yep. Yeah, absolutely. Now, was it, <laughs> Those early days of your sales career, given the personality test, like was it an immediate fit, or did it did it kind of grow on you? Like, how was that? Like, initial honestly, period? I was like a fish out of water. I mean, I remember I was in college, ninety eight to two thousand one. Like, email was a, wasn't like a huge thing. We were doing a lot of work on computers, but it was like early, which sounds it's aging myself, but it's the truth in college. And so I walk, and I never had sat behind a desk, but I was so physical. So I walked into this office. I had to like dress up, which was weird because as a coach, you're not wearing those kinds of clothes. And I didn't know how to dress up really. And so I went into this, sat down and I looked around. I'm like, I have to sit here for eight hours a day, like doing whatever this work is on this computer that I don't know how to do. So it was very uncomfortable for the first couple months. I was a BDR. That was my first job. Yep. And um, I supported, I was lucky to support some great reps. And one of the reps happened to be the top one at the company. She became a key mentor of mine in my life, especially in the early days. Um, and she just called me one day and she's like, you just need to like dive into this. Like, you know what you're doing. You can figure this out. You're good on the phone. You're good with relationships. And so she sort of guided me through those first couple of months. Um, I think the most 
awkward thing for me was I just wasn't my authentic self. I was trying to like fit into this corporate environment in the middle of the country and uh, I'm gay. So that I wasn't my, I wasn't being my true self at work. And I was just, everything was uncomfortable for me. So it was very, the first couple of months were a little bit strange. And then I ended up like kind of picking it up uh, and was developing good relationships with the reps. And they were all out in Orange County at the headquarters. So I had an opportunity to interview for an account executive role rather early. So I was a BDR for like four months. And then wow. um, I had done pretty well after I got over like, learning how to log in. And um, they flew me out for an interview and I ended up like crushing the interviews. And then I moved out there and I was an AE and that was my first like real entry into sales in corporate America. Um, I don't know if this is a future question, but it did take me, I will say, 10 years in my career to settle into my identity. So, and by that, I mean to really accept that I am no longer going to play sports. This is my path is not going to be a professional athlete or even a semi-professional athlete and, or a coach, like anything to do with sports is kind of over here. And now I have to like move into this other world and I was good at sales. So I started to take off with my career um, and we can talk about it, but I didn't really feel like things clicked for me in a way where I felt like really excited about my career and confident in it until I became a leader. And I think I was just missing the mentorship and the leadership side of me um, when I was an individual contributor. Yeah. So sometimes it's hard to make those parallels, even coming from coaching and realizing that that's, that's like such a good fit. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you mentioned authenticity there. And yeah. I, th- I think we haven't talked about that before. I don't think on this, on this show before, but it's one of our core values that we teach. And it's, it's hard to get that message across. Cause like I'm a fast talking, aggressive kid from Massachusetts. And what I try to tell our candidates is like, that's who I am. Like sincerely that that's, I'm not trying to create a bunch of little JRs. That would be really scary. Um, so, so that piece is so important. And I think, I think it comes with confidence a little bit, like getting good at your job. You start to feel comfortable in your own skin. Um, and then the other thing that you mentioned is is that that identity piece. I, I mean, I'll be honest. My, my younger brother just retired from 13 years of pro hockey, and I think every time he called me, I was like, Maybe they need a defenseman tonight. <laughs> so so I, can totally, I can totally relate to that. And I know our audience can too, for sure. Yeah, um, I think the authenticity, just to touch on that for one second, since you guys haven't really talked about it on your podcast, but that was a big thing for me, like for many reasons. One, being a woman in tech back when there weren't a lot of women in tech. I still, right. still aren't enough women in tech, but there's a lot bigger population now. Uh, being gay, which was a whole thing. And like, how do you navigate that being in different parts of the country where acceptance is different, depending on where you are. And frankly, like, how do I dress for this job? Like, it really was a big deal. When you come from like the coaching world or being an athlete, you're not, you know, you're in athletic clothing all the time. And it was a bit, it was an uncomfortable thing for me. And I look back on those days and some of the choices and I'm like, no wonder why I was so uncomfortable at work. Like I wasn't comfortable in my own skin, like being at the job. When I moved to California, I, I think mentorship, and I know we're going to talk about that, was a big part of it because I had mentors that were reiterating and validating for me that like I'm doing good work and I have a good brand and brands start to become really important to me. Um, and that was something that helped the confidence in, in that regard to be authentic. And then to your point, like I, we just did a, we had a leadership meeting the other day and we used AI to see like to just see what the notes would be from the meeting and it measures how fast you talk. And I'm also from Boston and I was fastest member of our e-staff with 241 words per minute. 
<laughs> and people kept telling me to slow down. I'm like, no, this is it. Like, this is what you got. Like, you can, I don't know, you're going to have to keep up with me. So there are certain things about your personality you're not going to change. You shouldn't change. And it makes you who you are. And I think that is your edge, like in whatever you're doing in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking back now, are there, is there something that you kind of wish you had done differently early on in your career if you had the chance? I don't really, you know, I was thinking about that question. I don't think so. I think my career unfolded exactly how it was supposed to unfold. I mean, I, um, I, I wish I would have had a little bit more confidence a little early on and like kind of trust my gut with things in regards to customers and deals. And, you know, I, I picked it up pretty quickly. So that maybe would be something, but I was really lucky to join companies that were high growth opportunities with awesome people. Um, I'm not shy about asking questions. I, I truly believe there's no dumb question. Like I think you should ask as much as you need to ask so that you can feel good about what you're doing. Um, so I don't think I would have done anything differently. I think I was very lucky to fall into tech. Like it was not, there was zero plan. It was just a luck of the draw. Um, and I think Quest was very lucky for me. Salesforce, Yext, and Checker were very intentional. So I learned a lot at Quest and then everything else from there was, was more intentional. So no, I don't think I would change anything. That's awesome. I, I feel similarly. I, I struggled early in my career. Uh, I, I'm sober and I, mm -hmm. I kind of hid that a lot initially my struggle, especially that kind of, you know, that sales culture and the customer yeah. taking customers out. And I would say that I had stuff going on. Eventually, when I found that confidence and owned it, it mm -hmm. actually helped me a lot. If anything, I think just being vulnerable and honest with people. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's amazing advice. Um, so going into the sales stuff, I'm, I'm, this is really kind of the the important piece for our audience, right? So you're talking to, say you're talking to a senior athlete from Jacksonville mm -hmm. and they're thinking about getting into into sales. Um, what kind of questions are you asking them or, or making them think about for them to decide if it's a good fit? First, I'd ask why. Yeah. Like, what is it? Like, do they have, because like, I didn't have any experience. I just was told by monster.com. I'm so competitive. I have to try sales. So I think I would ask why and figure out if there is some sort of influence in their life, whether it be uh, a parent or a relative or a friend that's been in sales that maybe they admired. And then I would dig into what do they admire about that person? What's exciting for them? Um, what, if they've thought about the next two to five years of their life, what are the things that they want to accomplish? Um, I'd ask a lot about their lifestyle. I think the uh, the one thing is that people don't you don't really know when you get into sales what kind of lifestyle it is, and sales is definitely a particular kind of lifestyle that uh, requires a lot of grit, a lot of ownership, and a lot of hard work. And the hours in are the results you're going to get. So it's not for the faint of heart, and it's not a nine to five job. So if you're going to be really good at it, so I think like I would check in on those types of things because at the end of the day, and I do this when I'm recruiting people too, like. This has to be a fit on both sides or you're just, you're not going to be happy and you're probably not going to be successful. So I would dig into the things that aren't actually salesy questions and more try to figure out like who they are, the why behind their interest, and then like really map out what the job is like and like what it requires because it, it requires someone who's proactive, very competitive and who can self-motivate. Like as an SVP, I don't have time to motivate people every day. I think I am a motivator naturally through my energy and I do care about everybody, but you have to wake up in the morning with intention to like crush the day and like you have to create your own success. So if if that doesn't fit someone's personality, I think this job would be or career would be really hard. The the lifestyle question is is very, very interesting too, because what I've seen the last few years is is I see companies selling 
the lifestyle. Like, oh, hey, you, you know, you have balance and it's like, you're not. <laughs> I don't think that's the right sales pitch. I think like you definitely should create balance in your life. Oh, yeah. I actually, uh, to tell a quick story, I we had kickoff at Yext years ago and we had Kerry Walsh, who is the most decorated, you know, beach athlete in volleyball history, yep. Olympics, all that kind of stuff. And she came and spoke and I actually played against her in college. So that was like a wild circle of events. She was much better than me. Uh, and, uh, so we were chatting afterwards and one of the things that she talked about in her speech and in her talk was around her belief in work-life balance, which it's not work-life balance. It's just life. And she has three buckets in the bucket. And this really resonated with me because I've always shared that I don't believe in work-life balance. And then it comes across wrong and people think I'm like a crazy leader, but really what she said is actually how I view my life. So it's like work is a bucket, personal is a bucket. Or like work is a bucket, family and friends is a bucket. And then for me, like personal wellness is a bucket. And sometimes that work bucket is full and everything else is depleted. And that's usually month end and quarter end. And then, you know, and then sometimes we'll take PTO or maybe you might, you know, carve some time for your friends and your family. And then that bucket's more full. And then obviously I think personal wellness, mental health is very important. And I think that needs to be something you're carving out every day. But the buckets don't always have to be equal. It's just more about making sure that you're filling them when they're too depleted and, and, kind of adjusting yourself so you're not burned out. And that's that story and kudos to her really resonated with me because I think that's how I approach my life. And anybody that thinks like sales is going to be a work-life balance that's perfect, it's just not the reality. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't fill those buckets. It just means you have to figure out how it works best for you. Absolutely. Really good advice. Um, yeah. So you mentioned how Quest was a, was a, like you got lucky with kind of landing at Quest first. And then we... <laughs> Obviously, we were helping these athletes and, and mm -hmm. veterans transition into new companies. And there's a lot of conversation about, well, base salary and remote and, mm -hmm. you know, benefits. And, and I always talk to them about the things to think about when you look at your first company. And, and I'm curious to know, like, if you're giving advice to a, to a first-time seller with multiple job offers, what are the characteristics that, you know, they should be looking for in a, in a great company to start their career at? A great question. First of all, I wish I had somebody that was like in my life at that time to help me with that. I just really did get very lucky with Quest. Um, the first thing, like all of that stuff aside, like first of all, the company should have benefits. That's like that's a yeah. check the box. Of course, that's a good point in my opinion. Um, and you know, remote hybrid, you can argue that kind of stuff all day. But the biggest thing is like, is this a growth company? The thing about my career is that, and this this is also again a lifestyle and a personality match, like. I only like to work at high growth tech companies. I like the speed. I like the urgency. I like solving problems. I like that the only thing I can count on is change. Um, so you have to be a fit for that. If you're not, if you're not good with change, that's not, those aren't going to be great companies for you. But I would now, if I could go back, that would be something I would change is I would really invest time into researching the company and making sure that there is future potential opportunity ahead where there could be massive growth because with growth comes opportunity. And I have found a lot of success and a lot of uh, fulfillment in my career. I've only worked at four companies and I've been in my career for 20 years. So I don't company hop. I'm very loyal. And it's because Quest was lucky, but it's because I those next three decisions were very intentional on what is the technology? What is the growth trajectory? What's the potential for like future opportunity? And then who? what's the culture like? I think the growth opportunity and the culture are the two biggest things that will impact happiness um, and paychecks. So, you know, the base salary at an entry-level job, it's not going to blow your socks off. That's not what it's all about. It's about landing at a great company and having people that believe in you and help you develop that skill set to then become 
either an individual contributor or a leader and be able to grow your career. And uh, choosing something for just base salary to me is, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. And I haven't done that at all in my career and even in leadership positions. Like I've, I've chosen the company over anything else along with the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And, and culture is what you just mentioned. It's learning. Is it, is it a learning and development culture? Are they constantly trying to help you get better, the people that you work for and, and just the, the organization as a whole? And one thing you didn't talk about there was size, which, yeah. you know, uh, and you, Quest and Salesforce are fairly large organizations. Uh, do you think there's there's benefits initially for working for like large established brands? So they weren't large when I started. That's so fair. while right. Salesforce is 80,000 people now, it, I was employed 2,200 or something. Wow. So, or maybe a little bit higher than that, but I was under the 3,000 bucket. So um, I forget Quest, to be honest, but it was smaller. It wasn't massive. Um, I think I think there's benefits to both. I think in this day and age, you can, joining a Salesforce or an ADP, these companies that ha- are known for their enablement and their development opportunities, um, could be really beneficial because you go in as an SDR or BDR and you have a ton of opportunity for skill development and a ton of resource and money put into that skill development. Whereas some of the startups, like a small startup doesn't have the money to do that. So if you go to something that's under 500 employees, you're probably just going to be thrown to the wolves and like, good luck. There's still great opportunity there um, for sure. And again, a lifestyle personality match. But I think there is a lot of benefit to go to a company that's investing in your success and has the money to spend on enablement. And that's something that you should ask regardless of size. How do you, how does your company approach enablement? What types of skill development opportunities are there for me? I'm really interested in long-term development. Um, for me, I was at all the companies I've been at have been around like 800 to 3000 employees when I've started and then they've grown over time. Um, again, Quest had good enablement. Salesforce had excellent enablement, even in the early days. Um, and at Yext, I wasn't like responsible for enablement. So we would push and try to like, you know, educate our teams. I'm doing the same at Checker. It's really important to me, but it is, I think it, I think that you can get benefits from any situation. I think the question to the company is how do you invest in, you know, skills development, especially at the entry level jobs? And like, do you have an enablement team? That's probably a big sign of like whether they're investing in it or not. So totally. And 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 I think like skill development, especially right now, is huge. You have a lot of sellers out there who are kinda in their first downturn, right? People that mm-hmm. didn't get to go through O eight, uh and, and stuff like that. Do you have like skills that some of these younger sellers that you have them focus on developing right now in this in this type of environment? Yeah, so there's t- I have two answers to this question. The first is a piece of advice. I don't and I challenge everybody that works for me to do this, including myself. If you just sit and wait for a company to develop you, you're missing the boat. Like it's the same going back to sports. Like if you just only go to the practice that your coach arranges and you only spend an hour and a half a day practicing, you're not going to be the best athlete. Like there were many times often that I was working out outside of that, that I was focused on my workouts, my health, uh, me excelling my skills that I was in the gym extra hours. Like the first thing is to proactively own it, like to own your own development, read, listen to podcasts like this, learn more about other companies, all that kind of stuff. When you're on calls with customers, ask them about their business. I learned a ton. I got a Salesforce MBA because I covered every industry and I would ask those CEOs a hundred questions about their business. So I know so much now about all different types of industries. Um, so I think the first thing is owning it and being proactive with your own development. Um, and then the second piece is like right now what I'm doing with SDRs and BDRs, I think we have to revisit like sales one-on-one. I think what's when you're in downturns like this, your skill set has to be so sharp. And when I think about the, some of the messages that I get for people trying to get on the phone with me, 
you have one shot at catching my attention. And if your email is seven paragraphs long or a bunch of fluff or a hundred attachments, I'm deleting it. So I think what I've really leaned into with my teams is a couple of things. One, their outbound strategies, how you're writing messages, how you're reaching out to people, what's important, a really crisp, solid message, really knowing their customer stories because customers buy because other customers see success. Um, so understanding that. And then I think being really dangerous with discovery. Like what kind of questions can you ask to keep them on the phone and to learn enough about them to move the ball forward? And those three things, like they sound probably rudimentary, but people have sort of lost the art of it. So I've gone back to a lot of sales one-on-one uh, skill set training for not only SDRs and BDRs, but even my account executive. It's it's a lot like sports, right? It's mm-hmm. like when you when you're in a slump, you gotta yeah. get you go back to the basics, yeah. you go back to the fundamentals, and that's foundationally the most important part. You can you know that other stuff that happens later on in a in a, in a sales cycle is is going to be built off that foundational understanding. Yeah. So that's really good advice. Yeah, we lost our conference tournament. We didn't make it. So this was the the worst thing that happened in my athletic career at Jacksonville. My freshman year, we didn't make the conference champion tournament, which was hosted at our gym. So what an ego slap to have oh. to do the scoring and the lines and host the other teams, but you don't make it and host it at your gym. And the next season, when we showed up in August, we went totally back to basics. So kudos to the coach that I referenced earlier. Like the conditioning, we did three triples, triple sessions for a month. The conditioning was a big thing. I was a setter. So I was setting like 10,000 balls against a wall for like every single morning, every single night. Like we went back to the basics and we got back in the conference tournament that next year. But it really is the approach that people should be taking now because it's not only your own skill set, it's also the pressure and what's happening on the, to the person on the other end. Like, I'm trying to navigate, you know, keeping everybody on the boat, making sure that we're planning accordingly, um, and really helping to develop and retain our people. And so I don't have a lot of time right now to be like on calls and learning things unless something can really help move my business forward. So I think sharpening those skill sets is really important. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's a good, like, that leadership role is is unique and it's different than an individual contributor. And obviously you've been, you've been building, you know, sales teams. Like what is your overall approach when you think about building a a great sales team? Are are you looking for specific things in potential hires? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, no matter what hire, whatever role I'm hiring for, the first thing I look for is the innate skill set, the stuff I can't teach. So is the person prepared? Is the person good energy? Does the person, did they do their research? Do they know enough about the company, about me to be dangerous to some of their questions? Um, do they have good questions? Do they listen or do they talk too much? Because if you talk too much as a salesperson, you're never going to get to the bottom of what the goal is, which is to hear from your customer. So like all the little things is the first thing that I look for for every level. Um, and then as you go through that process, like I really want to see someone that can own material um, and feel confident in what they're doing. And it doesn't mean you have to know everything. Like in an interview process, of course, you're not an expert in the company, but find three to four things that you're really comfortable talking about and just anchor to those and show your confidence. And that way you can actually show who you are in that interview versus fumbling around not knowing enough. Um, but I always, I like curiosity. I think sales is really rooted in curiosity um, and trying to understand like what's happening for the person on the other end. And I, I would say that's probably the thing I look for the most outside of some of the innate habits. Yeah. And, and when someone's, truly intellectually curious then they they mm-hmm. they naturally listen right because they're they're actually want to learn they're not just waiting for you to answer so they can ask their next question that was you know 
going to mentors, the first lesson I learned in sales, my, my first sales leader told me, JR, you have two ears and one mouth, act accordingly. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I think it was one of the best pieces of advice I ever got. Because when you think of sales when you're young, you think it's like pitching people, right? Yeah. And that's definitely not what it is. It's really um, not. It's telling yeah. stories and it's listening and then it's telling the story based on their perspective that in a way that you can tie in your products. Yep. Yep. I, I remember I was a first line leader at Salesforce, my first job as a leader. And I actually was the first person at Salesforce to be promoted within my own team to lead my team, which was wow. a little, we could talk for another podcast on the, the transition yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, but I remember being in a room with a particular AE who had the same product. Like he was just talking and talking and talking and like not really listening to the customer. And I used to mute him. And so we'd be on the call and like the customer would still be talking. He'd be ready. I could tell like he's ready, you know, back when we're in the office and I would mute and be like, you're not. And I would tell him, you're not talking. Let the person finish and then grab three things they're saying so you can reiterate what they're saying. Um, he didn't love that, but it worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Do, do, did you have, you mentioned some mentors that you've had. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about one of them and, and like yeah. what the best lesson is that you learned from them? Yeah. Patrick Blair, who's currently the president of sales at Workday, uh, was my probably closest mentor at Salesforce. I, had, I was lucky at Salesforce. I had a lot of wonderful people around me. Um, and I do believe mentorship's a two-way street. I, the mentors in my life now, some of them are my friends and they're not even in my industry. They're just people that you can bounce ideas off of and share stories. Um, but he was, you know, top leader at Salesforce and someone who was like helping to guide my career, really believed in women in leadership, which was awesome. Um, and going back to when I became the leader of my own team, he was interviewing people and he walked by my desk and he goes, why the F aren't you like raising your hand for this? Like, and I had been an AE for like three years. Um, and I was like, well, I didn't know, like, I should be raising my hand for this or that, like, you know, the time he goes, who cares what other people think? You need to get in this. You'd be a badass. You need to get, so he really pushed me. Like he actually threw me into the interview process <laughs> and I got the job and it was just like such a vote of confidence. And also at that time, really, there weren't many women, women in leadership, frankly. So that was awesome to see from, you know, a male uh, mentor. And then, you know, throughout the course of my career, he was always the one that pushed me the hardest, asked me the toughest questions. Uh, back in the day at Salesforce in San Francisco, when I lived there, he would be, he was a morning workout person as am I. And there was a place called Fakasha that all the execs would get breakfast at. And I would purposely make sure that I got there before him. So I wouldn't be in line with him because I need to beat him up to the office. And he was just that, you know, a little bit scary, but that kind of leader. And I really appreciated that. Um, so we always had that type of relationship and he's been a continued mentor throughout my life. He helped, uh, me with the job at, at Yext and was a key reference for me. And then frankly, same with Checker because he knew some people that were on the board. So he's been just an awesome, awesome person in my life. And he's a fantastic leader and really drives a great business. That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, any, any kind of favorite sales lessons or, or mantras that, that you think might be helpful for our, for our type of audience, this young, new to sales coming out of the competitive world of, of athletics and, and military service? I mean, to be honest, I think the thing that I've, I've always had this, but I've developed it even more as I've grown in my life, probably due to age and maturity as well. I wish I would have had this a bit more when I was younger is being able to be really self-reflective and like intellectually honest with yourself. So whether it's after an interview or after a call or after a situation at work, like thinking about your impact and, controlling what you can control. I tell my teams this all the time. Like we're in a tough macroeconomic environment right now. So control what you can control. You cannot control if the customer's going to hire or not. We sell background checks. So like that, that's something that impacts our business. What you can control is preparing for your call, making sure you're asking the right questions, 
having great follow-up and teeing people up for success if you're an SDR and a BDR, like for your account executives. Um, and I think if you're self-reflective and you know where you missed or you know where you need to grow and where you could do better before anybody else does, it's just going to make you that like a little bit edge better. Like whenever we lost a game when I was in college, I knew my contribution to that loss. And I would look at that game tape and I would watch it and I, no one's harder on themselves than I am or on myself than me. Um, and I think that that really benefited my career because it's not often that I've had to have someone who's leading me like share, oh, like this is feedback of like, you need to work on, because I'm already aware of it and I'm already working on all those things for myself. There's been a lot of guidance and coaching and some great ideas. But in regards to like the things I need to work on, I think if you can get super tight with yourself and honest with yourself and what those are, and by the way, that comes from spending the time with top folks, leaders in the organization that are AEs or SDRs or BDRs and like listen to their calls and like learn how they're doing it. You know, I've missed being on the sales floor. I used to learn from all of my peers who are all leading tech companies now and they were fantastic. And I would take nuggets from all of them and be like, oh, I never asked that question. Um, so I think just being invested in yourself in an honest way though, uh, it, it, it pays dividends later on, and I think it'll make you a better salesperson. So good. It's like it's like uh, accountability kind of starts with self-awareness. It's hard yeah. to be accountable when you can't own it. You know what I mean? And it's okay to make mistakes, but be upfront about it. Like, I had a customer issue where it was a mistake when I was an AE back in the day, and I called that person and apologized. I'm like, hey, I made this mistake. Um, I told you something that actually we cannot deliver on and let's regroup and figure out what the best way forward is. And that cut, that CEO really appreciated that. It's not, people are going to make mistakes. It's really how you kind of repair and recover from that. hundred percent. So yeah. uh, th that's awesome. Carrie. So last couple questions here, yeah. we ask every guest, these two questions. Um, if we asked you to highlight one of your skills that, that has made you like an elite seller and gotten you kind of where you are in your career. What do you think that one that one skill would be for you? Um, I always focus on daily habits of success. And again, this goes back to the stuff that's actually not sales training. This is all the right. stuff that like is yourself. Yeah. Um, I I am relentless to a point of <laughs> maybe exhaustion, but like relentless. And I will do anything I can to help people succeed, to help our customers succeed. Um, I put in the time and I put in the work. Um, and, and for me, I really think the secret to my success is how I structure my day. And there's a lot to do, especially in my role now. Like you've got to be organized. You've got to be proactive. You have to be all over everything. Um, and that, I think that resonates throughout any role you're in. If you can be all over it, everybody wants to grow their career, but you have to be an expert and like flawless in what you're doing, in my opinion, to get to the next level and be a high performer. Um, so it goes back again to my athletic roots. Like I wake up at the same time every day. Even when COVID happened and we're working from home, I wasn't like sleeping in until the moment I had to get on a call. Like I kept my same schedule. Um, I'm a big believer in mental health and physical health. And I think it's really important. And I'm so happy to see mental health be more of a topic of discussion and something we're all paying attention to. So, you know, I work out in the morning, I have a coffee, I do some writing. Um, and I, that time is sacred for me and I won't take calls and I'm off my devices. And that really sets the tone for the day. And then I just feel like I can tackle anything. And I think that mindset is really important. Um, and for me, that's been something that I've had, you know, throughout my life. Yeah, we, we talk about we, we teach a course on operating rhythm. And we don't we don't just talk about like, hey, this is the best time to make cold calls. It's also yeah. that morning routine, if, if, if meditation, if journaling mm -hmm. is part of that. And, and it's like, it's like taking your daily medicine almost yep. for a lot of people like me. Um, if I don't do that stuff, I'm a mess and it messes up everything else in my day. So that's same. I can, you can tell, you could 
you could actually tell whether I've had that time in my morning or not. Like when I'm traveling, I get a little like less patient, you know, that kind of thing, which I travel a lot. So I probably need to work on that, but uh, (laughs) it's definitely a thing. And I think I operating rhythm, I call it operating cadence. When I started at Checker, the first thing I did was I put in operating cadences starting with myself all the way down to every single level. And I have 140 people in my business and that is really important. We're all operating the same way. And then I had blocks in that to say like, this is your time. You figure out what works for you. It might not be a 5:30 workout. It might be something else and get your head right for the day. So. Yeah, if, if I'm being a nightmare, my fiance will tell me you need to go to the gym. Leave me alone. Go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my dad used to say to me and my brothers when we we're little, uh, you know, hey, there's a lot of people that play hockey, play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. And what he was trying to teach us, looking back, was like the idea of, of approaching something like a profession, right? And I always say the highest praise you can give a salesperson is calling them a pro. What does being a pro in sales mean to you? Being a pro. Um, well, first of all, you got to hit your numbers. It's like, you can't, you're not going to be a hockey pro if you're losing all the games. Like, it's just not going to happen. So winning is a thing. Um, it's not necessarily everything, but it's a thing. I think you can learn a lot from losses, as I shared. I grew a lot in my life in that. I didn't feel like I was learning a lot when I was losing in sports, but I do learn a lot now. Um, and you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to have a perfect score in life. It's just not how it works. Um, so I would say winning, but then if you do lose or if you lose a deal or if you don't get that promotion or if you don't land that job at that company, what do you learn from it and how do you take that and then make yourself better the next day? I think they talk about this, you know, I, I, I go to therapy. I think, by the way, therapy is amazing for people. And I think like therapists always talk about how do you repair from something that happens in your life, whether it's a relationship or a loss or whatever. I think that goes, flows into work and career too. Like how do you repair? Cause that's really what matters. People are going to win, people are going to lose, but then how do you come back from that? And like, what do you, what are the steps you take to make sure that you hone in that skill set to not have that happen again or learn from that experience? Um, and then hopefully mentor other people and teach them, you know, the, the learnings that you've had along the way and pass, pass along that success. So uh, that's, that's what I think pro would mean to me. So good. And, and I think we're getting to a place on the therapy side where that's, that's, you know, that's going to be coming more and more acceptable and it should be because it is a game changer if you, once you do it. Even even for an Irish Catholic from from Massachusetts, <laughs> I'm an Italian Catholic. Although I don't know if I you know I'm really practicing the Catholic side anymore. But um, I you know for sure it's it's something that's been life changing for me. I've been in it for a long time. I actually had a leadership QBR a couple of weeks ago in New York, and we had an open conversation about it. And I was really proud of my leaders, men and women, for raising hands and saying, "Yeah, this is what I commit to. These are the things that are important to me." And I think any. For any opportunity for you to get help in whatever regard that is, or just some extra guidance, or just a space to talk about what you need to talk about, I think it would make the world a better place, frankly. So I'm a big fan of that. Amazing. This is this was so awesome, Carrie. This is, uh, I call it hashtag required listening right here. I can already <laughs> tell this episode is going to be one of those. Thank you so much. For I sure. know how busy you are. We really appreciate you giving this time, and I, and I think our audience appreciates it even more. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, and maybe we'll run each, into each other on the Cape sometime. Absolutely. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.